start the stopwatch here. I've been given strict orders not to go over 30 minutes. Um, so do you ever wonder how you got to a certain place? You know, Matt gave you a little bit of an, uh, uh, you know, I graduated from Wheaton College in 1980 and uh, did my student teaching the following fall. And when I went back, when I went back, it was like the Wheaton I went to wasn't there because all my classmates had, you know, stayed in where they lived and gone on to their careers and this and that and the other. And so I found myself in need of some uh, community and uh, particularly spiritual nourishment. And so Jerry Root was the college pastor at College Church at that time. And so he graciously allowed some of us that were post-college to attend uh, his class. And uh, I can say that certainly I think it's for, true for all my brothers, but for me too, a profound spiritual influence that he had. One of his little Christian catchphrases is, my life for yours. I'm willing to give up my life for yours, you know. And, I, and I've always remembered that. It's this little forward thing, my life for yours. Well, one Sunday I had the opportunity to s substitute for him in Sunday school. And I'll say to you what I said then. I apologize for those of you that were coming here expecting to hear Jerry Root. You're stuck with me instead. Um, now, what's not what's true today that wasn't true 40 years ago is you can go home and do YouTube and Google Jerry Root and probably find some message that he's given. Um, so that particular lesson was on Joseph, and he's got a better memory than I do because he said it was about forgiveness, and I remember talking about Joseph, but I, but I don't remember specifically. So we're going to talk about one of Joseph's brothers today. Um, I have a confession to make. I've read through Genesis about 30 or 40 times. Uh, the confession is... It was an effort to read the Bible through all the way from cover to cover. And I'd fizzle out in Exodus or Deuteronomy or Job. And I'd, I never got through I found myself in my 50s and I've never read the Bible all the way through. I did a report on Harry Truman when I was in college and found out that Truman had read the Bible three times through by the time he was 17. And here I was in my 50s, I haven't read it through once. And it's, you know, January 2nd, time to make New Year's resolutions. And every year, you know, you can read the Bible through in a year if you read three chapters a day. And I'd get to about January 20th, and I was three days, four days behind already. And it's kind of like, what's the use? You know, it took me about 35 years to realize I don't read very fast. I'm good with numbers, okay? I'm, I'm good with numbers, but the reading's... So when I was 57 years old, I said, okay, let's see if we can read one chapter a day. And maybe I'll read the Bible through once by the time I get to 60 years old. Well, I didn't make it to 60, but I did make it all the way through. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you're like me and you're like, I don't have the time it takes to read three chapters a day because I don't read very fast, and I'm I think everybody can do one chapter a day. Um, I read in Zechariah this morning. I'm on round number two. 
it's taken longer than I'd like it to. But I can assure you that if you read the Bible through from cover to cover, you'll be blessed. So if you take nothing else from this morning, and you're like me and you've never, you've never done that, Genesis is fantastic. It's a great story. Um, doesn't everybody love stories? There's a lot of stories in Genesis about characters, and, and uh, it's fascinating. So maybe before we start, let me just have a quick word of prayer. Uh, Lord, thanks for uh, this day. Thanks for this new year. Uh, give us ears to listen this morning and give me the words of your truth to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the story of Joseph. One of my sons, the one that isn't here this morning, is named Joseph. These, are, these three young men are my sons. This is my wife over here. Um, so I love the story of Joseph, and, but, but I think as I've grown older, I really like the story about Judah, his older brother. And if you read the stories, you know, Judah's probably number two in terms of how much we know about him and what we heard about him. And um, so I've got like uh, six or seven quick scenes in Judah's life, and we're going to try to maybe with each one of them ask a question and apply it to ourselves. Um, so the first one is what every librarian tells you not to do is we're going to read the last scene first at the very end. And uh, I think we've got displayed a verse out of uh, Genesis 49. I, uh, the, the scene here is Jacob, the father, is the father of 12 sons, and he's on his deathbed. And he's telling his sons what will happen. It's sort of prophetic about them and what they've been. Um, I was just reading in Facebook over here this morning, one of my friends from Columbus had a friend that passed away, and he was talking about people's last words, and one that I've remembered that maybe you've heard before is John Adams, the second president of the United States, was on his deathbed on July 4th, 1826, the 50th birthday of our country, and his last words were, Thomas Jefferson still survives. It was a little bit of a, you know, irritation that his political rival was still living Unbeknownst to him, Thomas Jefferson had died an hour before, but because of the, so the second and third president of the United States both died on our 50th birthday, but tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that uh, his last words were about his political rival being alive and he'd already passed away. So we kind of attach importance to somebody's last words, don't we? So Jacob goes through his sons one by one, and you can read the passage yourself because he wasn't very kind to at least three of the brothers. But he gets to Judah, and he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. And he goes on to say, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Rulers and kings. We talked about kings. This kings are going to come from you, Judah. And it's like, wow, 
that'd be awesome to have somebody say that about you, about me when they're dying, right? It's, it's impressive. It's positive. It's like, man, this guy must have been great for all, you know, for all those things to be said about him when his father was passing away. So that's the last scene. Let's move on to the second scene. Or maybe I should say move back. Now, um, we'll go over this in a little bit in a minute, but Judah was one of 12 brothers and Joseph was one of 12 brothers. The Bible says that Joseph was 17 when this happened. He'd had some dreams about who he was going to become. They came true. But his brothers hated him for those dreams. That's specifically, the Bible says they hated him all the more for all the dreams because, first of all, he was his father's favorite. And there's background on that. His father, you know, his, he was his father's favorite. And the older brothers didn't like that. And not only that, but he'd given a bad report to his father about some of his brothers and their shepherding the sheep. So here comes Joseph, and they have an and they're like, let's let's kill him and get rid of him and see what happens to his dreams. And after Reuben talks them out, no, no, don't do that. They throw him into a pit, and then the Bible says they sit down to eat. How callous is that? And Judah says as they see the Ishmaelites, going, what profit is, a, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Do you hear the sarcasm there? And, their brother, and his brothers listen to him. Now, it's like I'm almost speechless that this happened. Right here's the thing about the Bible. This is not some kind of, it's not some kind of fable or allegory about. This really happened. These guys really sold their brother into Egypt, into what had to be a miserable existence. Now they didn't know God's plan. God meant it for good. <laughs> But I feel like, Judah, what were you thinking? What, what were you thinking? Have any of you done something unthinkable? And you've tried to forget it, and you would love to say you're sorry to the person that you offended, and Maybe they've, maybe they're gone. Maybe you don't know where they are. Maybe it's past time to do that. Second thing is, notice that his brothers listen to him. And I guess two questions from that. Who are you listening to? And should people listen to you? I... I I don't know if this is appropriate. Say, I, I, one of the bad things that happened because of the pandemic is I got on Facebook. And uh, I'm really uh, discouraged at times about the things that I see brothers and sisters 
posting in the name of Christ on Facebook? Do the things that you say point people to Jesus? Do your actions point people to Jesus? Should people be listening to you? So that's the second scene. I thought you, I thought you said that uh, this was a good guy. Well, it gets worse, but let's go back all the way to scene one. Scene one, okay? So I, I don't know how to... Uh, let's just summarize, okay? Jacob got sent off to his uncle Laban's and Jacob fell in love with Rachel, and Jacob was tricked into marrying both Rachel and her older sister Leah. And um, so we, so 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 Jacob has two sister wives. This is the beginnings of reality TV, is it not? All right. When the Lord, so Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. The Bible's pretty clear about that. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Well, now, let's take a look at the first six sons of Jacob. Just talk about their names. Because back then, they named people for specific reasons. I mean, I heard it said once that there are two men in the Bible that you don't really hear the Bible talking about them sinning. And those two men are Joseph and Daniel. So I'm like, well, those are two pretty good names. So my four sons, those are two of the names. But, but I didn't name them like, you know, um, he's a good preacher or something like, you know, whatever the name. So back then they named people for specific reasons, specific events. So let's, let's take a look at the names of the first five children. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked my, on my affliction, my husband will love me now. Then she had a second son. Because the Lord heard that I am hated, he gave me this son also. That's Simeon's name. Levi. Now this time my husband will be attached to me. Now, now these guys are going to grow up and be old men. And when they're in their 80s or 90s, what does your name mean? Well, this is kind of what, I mean, they got, they got to live with these names. Yeah, we're not done yet. Now, then she bore a son and called him name, his name Judas, saying, this time I will praise the Lord. Well, now she's got four sons, and Rachel doesn't have any, and Rachel goes to Jacob, and she goes, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob's like, well, what do you want me to do? Am I God? What, what do you want me to do? And so back then, I, I don't really understand the culture, but if you had a slave woman and gave her to your husband as his wife, then you could count the children as yours. So that's what happened. So now Bilhah, who is Rachel's servant, has two children by Jacob. And the first one is, God has judged me and heard my voice and called his name Dan. And then her second son, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and called his name Naphtali. Here's what I want you to see. The six, first six sons of Jacob, five of them had names that referred to the conflict going on in the house. And it's like, this is really fertile ground to take beautiful children and turn them into messed up adults, isn't it? 
And so I guess the question I have is, what's going on in your house? Do the things you say and the things you do in your house, do they bring people to Jesus? And I'm, you know, pretty high on the guilty list here. Uh, but now being on kind of the other side, my youngest sons are 15. But six-year-olds hear everything that goes on. And they put it together. And they may not put it together in quite the way that we would put it together, but be assured they put it together. And I'm thinking, here's a little six-year-old Judah figuring out what's going on. It's not pretty. Now, we're not going to excuse Judah and say this, you know, this was all somebody else's fault. We're not going to do that. And later on, neither is he. But just be aware, you know, particularly those of you with young kids, they hear everything. All right? Well, let's move on to another scene. This is after, I think it's scene three. It's after they sell Joseph. Genesis chapter 38. We don't have any references up here on Genesis 38. You know why? Because Genesis chapter 38 is rated R. Okay? We're not going to put any scriptures up there. Okay? But you want to, and I'm going to kind of give you the general scope. But when we talk about the truth of the Bible, the Bible doesn't pull any punches, man. Okay? It doesn't sugarcoat anything. Moses, the man who wrote these, Moses was a murderer. David, King David, son of David, have mercy on me. David was an adulterer. I mean, you can go on through, uh, you, know, you can go through the Bible, and the Bible doesn't sugarcoat its news about its heroes. I mean, all the disciples forsook him and fled. I mean, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, uh, let's kind of edit this and change this. So, you know, you can, you can be assured that the Bible is true because of the negative things it says about its heroes right I mean if we were writing our story we wouldn't write it that way I don't think um, so what happened in Genesis 38 well first of all Judah leaves the family uh, maybe he left the faith why did he leave well you know maybe he was rebellious Maybe he hadn't looked into the future and seen what this was going to do to his father. And his father was mourning for his son. And all his brothers knew whose fault it really was. And maybe he's like, I'm out of here, man. I can't handle this anymore. So he leaves. He marries a foreign woman. He has three sons. Two of his sons die because the Lord says they were wicked. And then his wife dies. And then Judah fails to provide for his daughter-in-law, as was the custom at the time, by giving her his third son. He wasn't going to die. I had one of them die doing that. I'm not going to do that again. And then at the end of the chapter, his daughter-in-law becomes pregnant by her father-in-law. It's a sordid story. And 
you know, before Judah was, could kind of keep this, uh, I got it together, look, in front of everybody. Not in front of his brothers. His brothers really knew, but out in public he could be like, now everybody knows Judah's a bad dude. He's a bad guy. But at the very end of this story, he says, she is more righteous than I. He's talking about his daughter-in-law. She, he's kind of hit rock bottom here. She's more righteous than I. I'm the one who's got the problem. And I don't know if I said this already, but people, God uses broken vessels. I mean, I don't want people to know what goes on inside of my heart because it doesn't look good. And we're, we might say, well, I'm not as bad as that. That's not really, you know, if you're in God's math class, 0 to 99 is an F. Only, the only people that get A's are the ones that get honored. We're, we're all bad folks. Well, so what happens next? Well, you know, Joseph becomes ruler in Egypt, and that's an awesome story, and then there's a famine, as Joseph's dream told him. And all the brothers go to Egypt, and they pick up food. All the brothers except one, because Jacob's like, I'm not sending Benjamin with you because uh, I'm not losing him too. So the brothers go, they get their food, and the ruler in Egypt, who's Joseph, but they don't know it, says, look, I'm not giving you any more food unless you bring your other brother back. Otherwise, you're spies and you're, you know, he kind of lays it on thick. you got to bring your brother back here. So they're sitting around the table in Palestine, and Jacob's like, hey, guys, go to, uh, go to Egypt and get some more food for us. And Judah's like, look, we, we can't go. We can't go because the man told us, you know, you got to bring your little brother down here or else I'm going to assume that you're spies. And Jacob's like, why'd you, why'd you tell him you had a little brother? And they're like, look, he asked us questions about our family, and we told him, and well, how, do we, how would we know that he was going to say, bring your brother down here? And then Judas says, send the boy with me. I will be a pledge for his safety. And if I don't bring him back, Father... I will bear the blame before you all my life. Now, a couple things here. First of all, notice that Judah's back home now. He's not out. He's come home. And second of all, notice he says, I will take the responsibility. I will take it on. And part of me wants to say, Jacob should have said, what have you done that I should trust you? But there must be some, something in the story that we aren't told. Maybe it's, well, Jacob's wife died, and Judah's wife died, and Jacob lost a son. And now Joseph in Egypt kept another son. Jacob lost two sons, and Judah lost two sons. And maybe from Judah's perspective, I understand a little bit more now about what my father was going through because I had to go through it too. 
I don't know what you've been through. I probably couldn't tell you why. But I do know that God has put you in that place so that maybe you can help other people who are going through the same thing. There's an understanding by you of them because they're having the same trials that you've already hopefully made it through the tunnel. Something Jacob saw in Judah said, okay, he can go. All right, next scene. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's in Genesis 44. Um, Joseph constructs this situation where Benjamin is supposedly stolen his cup and we're going to keep him as a slave. And Judah says, hey, listen, we'll all be your slaves. And Joseph's like, he doesn't know it's Joseph still. It's like, no, 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 no. Just the one who has the cup. Joseph's giving them a golden opportunity to sell Benjamin into slavery just like they did him. And Judah has this speech that lasts around 20 verses. And it finishes with, let me, let me, the verse is on the screen, but I want to, I want to finish. He tells the whole story. It starts in Judah, uh, Genesis 44, 18. Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word. It's kind of chilling when you know the dreams, and they're like, you're never going to be over us. And, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak in my Lord's ear. He's laying it on thick, man. But then at the end, he says, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I shall blare the blame all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let, my Lord, let the boy go back with his brothers. Here's what he's saying. My life for yours, my life for his. I'm not going to do this to my father again. I'm going to lay down my life so my brother can have his and my father can have his. Isn't that what, isn't that what Jerry Root was talking about those 40 years ago? My life for yours. And so the question is, are you willing to lay down your life for others? And the verse in John, Jesus' words, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. There's one other little scene. It's kind of humorous, but it shows the trust that Jacob had in Judah. It's in Genesis 46. Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. My brother and I were talking yesterday about Waze. I, I don't know what Waze is. We were talking about Google Maps, you know, with the iPhone. We don't have any of that stuff back in, well, we didn't have any of that stuff in 1976, let alone back in prehistoric Bible times. It's got, to me, this is kind of almost American humor, Okay. I trust you so much that I'm going to have you go get directions, okay? Why did Moses put that there? I think, that's, I think that's kind of funny. 
But it's just a little humorous reminder of how Jacob now trusted his son Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Why will they praise you? Because you're willing to lay down your life for your brothers, for your friends. I guess the final question we want to ask ourselves today is, I mean, there's just all kinds of broken people in our world, aren't there? And they're not just brothers and sisters. And, and again, you can read Genesis chapter 38, and Judah went through a really hard, hard time. And there's people you know, with or without Christ, that are going through hard times. And I guess my final question is, are you willing, are we willing, am I willing to lay down my life for my friends so that they can see Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you that uh, you tell us throughout your word that you use broken vessels to your glory. And Lord, we know we're broken vessels. Some of us think there's no way God can ever use me where I'm at. Well, we thank you for this story that tells us God can use us. And not only that, but our brothers will praise us for it. Thank you, Lord. Give us the Give us the strength to fulfill our commitments to you that we've made for 2022. In Jesus' name, amen.